Well, hello. In case you don't know me, uh, my name is Victor Green. I'm usually known as Vic, except when I'm in trouble, when it's Victor. And uh, I have a, a home group to which I, I teach the Bible. And our pastor asked me if I would put some of my home group talks onto YouTube so that others might watch and listen and get the benefit of the visual side of things. I mean, what more could you ask for? So there we go. So pastor asked me if I'd do this and, and I was wondering what subject to take. And my mind went to the book of Jeremiah. It's not a very well-known book. Well, there's one verse in it, which is well-known, but that's about the only thing people know about Jeremiah these days. So I thought, let's have a look at Jeremiah. It's a very long book. It is actually the longest book in the Bible, as you'll find. And uh, I wondered how I could present it in a more accessible way, because the book itself is a bit of a jumble. It's as if it's been cut up into pieces and then glued together in a random way. So there's no chronological thread with a beginning, a middle and an end in the book of Jeremiah. So what I decided to do was to present the teaching in the first person. So I am going to speak as if I am the prophet Jeremiah. And instead of going through it chapter by chapter, I'm going to pick out in order, if I can, the events of my life and explain those events to you. And then from those events, develop the prophetic teaching which I was bringing to the people at the time. So I hope this will enable you to read the book of Jeremiah and to understand it a little bit better and to find Jesus in it and to receive blessing from it by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Hello, uh, my name is Jeremiah and you're probably wondering what the meaning of my name is. Actually, nobody's completely sure. What I'd like to do is to explain to you some aspects of the book in my name, which is in the Bible. It is actually the longest book in the Bible. It's certainly the longest in the Old Testament. And you'll be thinking to yourself, oh, no, it isn't. Look at the Psalms. There are 150 chapters there. Yes, but if you were to count the number of Hebrew words in each book in the Bible, you would find that the book of Jeremiah is the longest indeed. It's quoted in the New Testament 40 times. And Matthew, his gospel, mentions me by name on three occasions. Now, because it's such a long book, I won't be able to explain every chapter to you. So what I'm going to do is to look at the story of my life, to pick out from the book incidents, events, which took place, uh, and from them to develop the teaching and the prophesying which I brought to the people of Judah. After all, I was a prophet for 40 years, so I was at this job for quite a while. I had a secretary, his name was Barak, and we wrote this book together, but it had to be done piecemeal, because I, we were always in trouble. At one time I was in the stocks, another time in prison, so when we had an opportunity, a bit of, little bit of freedom, a little bit of spare time, we jotted down what we could remember. And that's why this book is a bit out of order, especially for you Western readers who are used to reading a book with a beginning, a middle and an end. It doesn't quite work out like that in the book of Jeremiah. Some people say I was a bit like Jesus, your Messiah. Now your Messiah came 600 years later after my time. But we both predicted the destruction and devastation of Jerusalem. We were both rejected by the leaders of the Jewish people. 
and we both wept with broken hearts over the sinfulness of God's people and over the consequent destruction which was going to come upon them, upon their city and upon their temple. You may know a little about me already. If you've read my book, uh, you may remember that I was rescued from a well by a friend, otherwise I would have died down there. You may have remembered that one of the kings of my time heard my prophecies read to him and he tore them up and threw them in the fire. There's one verse which you probably know. It's in chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a famous verse, but you probably don't know why I wrote it or who I wrote it to or what the meaning was at the time. So we'll come to that. I was probably born in the reign of King Ammon. I say probably because when I was born, I was too young to know the name of the kings. And I've brought my special digital laser display screen just to help you remember the name of this king, Ammon. He was only king for a few years, but he was one of the worst kings of Judah. Let me read to you about him from 2 Chronicles, chapter 33, verse 21. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Ammon increased his guilt. Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon and they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Ammon and his father Manasseh were the two worst kings of Judah. They openly worshipped the fertility god Baal and brought idols of the god Baal into the temple, together with Asherah poles, which were phallic symbols, because the worship of Baal was a fertility cult. And therefore there were prostitutes in the temple because the act of sex in worship was supposed by sympathetic magic to cause the crops to grow better. Better grapes, better wheat, better barley. Manasseh was so bad, he offered one of his own sons in sacrifice to Baal. So that was one of my brothers. Well, I was a baby during Ammon's reign, but as a child, the culture around me in Judah was that of immorality and of idolatry. But when he died, the next king was King Josiah, and Josiah was a reforming king. Let me read a little bit about him to you in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were turned down, torn down, he cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them 
and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Josiah was determined to reform the religion of Judah. And it was during his reign, roughly halfway through, that I was called to be a prophet. Let me read the first three words, three verses of my book. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. Now you may remember that the land of Israel, which had been a united country under David and Solomon, disintegrated upon Solomon's death. And the ten tribes in the north seceded and they set up their own new kingdom, Israel, with their capital in Samaria and their own new king, leaving just a couple of tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, with its capital of Jerusalem. Now Israel, this northern kingdom, by my time, had been destroyed. The Assyrians had come, conquered all the cities, defeated the armies and taken most of the people into exile and replaced them by foreigners, all that had happened about 100 years ago. By my time, Assyria was on the decline. And to our north, we had Babylon, which was growing in power, and in the south, we had Egypt, which was also growing in power. So my little country of Judah was the piggy in the middle. We were the buffer between the two great powers in the Middle East, Babylon and Egypt, who were competing for supremacy. Now religiously, as I said, my country had gone backwards to paganism during the reign of Manasseh and Ammon, and Josiah had tried to reform the religion. There was a prophet just before my time called Zephaniah, you'll find him in your Bibles, and Habakkuk and Obadiah were contemporaries of mine. Now one of your poets, William Shakespeare, said that some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. I wasn't born great, as you see, I was just a, 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 the son of a priest from Anathoth, which is nowhere special. I didn't have any special gifts either, so I didn't achieve greatness. I had greatness thrust upon me by the Lord, because it was the Lord who called me to be a prophet. Let me read a little of that to you in chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I didn't choose to be a prophet. I was made a prophet by God. And this was during 
Josiah's reforms. I thought I was too young and I set that up as an excuse and I wouldn't have the confidence to speak. And you may remember a previous prophet who tried to refuse the Lord's call, Moses, who said he wasn't eloquent enough to serve the Lord in that way. The Lord told me I'd been chosen from the womb and later your apostle Paul said something very similar in Galatians chapter 1. God set me apart from my mother's womb. I had to learn that youth did not disqualify me from ministry. Do not say I am too young. Do not say you're too old. Don't say you're too uneducated. Don't say you're too poor. Don't say you're too unimportant. Don't make any excuses. If the Lord is calling you to do something for him in his name, he will make you equal to that task. Somebody else in your New Testament felt he was too young to minister. That was Timothy and Paul had to say to him, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. In verse 8, the Lord told me not to be afraid. The truth is, I was afraid. If I'd known what was coming in the future, I would have been frightened out of my wits. But the Lord reassured me he would give me his strength. And he touched my mouth with his words. And you may, may remember a prophet about 100 years ago, Isaiah, whose lips were touched by the word of God. And the Lord told me my ministry was going to be largely negative, four negatives and two positives. I appoint you to uh, uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I was going to take four wrecking balls to the nation, but also I'm going to introduce two processes of reconstruction. To help me, the Lord gave me two pictures. Let me read verses 11 from verse 11 in chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again, What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Two pictures. The first was of a tree. It was of an almond tree, but in my language, Hebrew, the word almond means watchful. And so what I was seeing was a watchful tree. It's translated uh, by another Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, 
Jeremiah, what do you see? I see a branch of the watchful tree. Yahweh said, well seen, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The Lord was promising me that the prophecies I was going to give would be fulfilled. They would all come true. That was very encouraging. The next one, not quite so. I saw this boiling pot. If you think of a map of the Holy Land, this boiling pot in the north, and it's being tipped, it's being tilted. So all this scalding water is going to pour down over the land. It was going to scald. It was going to destroy. It was going to harm. It was going to do damage. It was going to take lives. Now, my country of Judah can only be attacked either from the north or from the south. On the west, we're protected by the Mediterranean Sea. And on the east, we're protected by the Arabian Desert. In this vision, I saw that this danger was going to come from the north. We were going to be scolded by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was going to be surrounded and all Judah's small towns were going to be attacked and destroyed. Why? Because of the idolatry of the people. In verse 16, because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands had made. Think to yourself, what's the worst sin in Old Testament times? Think of the hierarchy of sins in the Old Testament. What was the first commandment in the Ten Commandments? Wasn't it to worship the Lord your God and only him? And what was the second one? Wasn't it never to make idols and bow down to them and treat them as if they were divine? That's exactly what my people have been doing for years, bowing down and worshipping these Baal gods. So I was being told that my country, my city, my temple were going to be attacked and destroyed. It wouldn't happen for another 40 years. I didn't know that at this time, but it would indeed take place. So the Lord told me not to be afraid. He would be with me and rescue me. That's in verse 8. And then he told me in verse 17 not to be terrified because God will be with me and rescue me. Twice I need to be reassured that I need not fear because the Lord would be with me. I would have to fight and I would struggle and I would suffer, but the Lord would ensure that I overcame. I needed that reassurance. Because as it says in verse 18, I would have to confront four or five kings of Judah. I would have to confront the civil service. I would have to confront the religious leaders. And even the ordinary people of the land would be against me. There is just one reference to King Josiah in chapter 3, verse 6. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not, and her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister, Judah, had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. 
The pagan public worship was very sexualized, as I've already described. And when the Lord speaks here about adultery being committed, he's speaking of this in the physical sense, but, in a, but also in a metaphorical sense, because the Lord was married to Israel and Judah. They had entered into covenant, into a marriage relationship in Sinai, in the first covenant. And notice, in this passage, God dis describes himself as being a divorcee. And some of you have been divorced. God knows what it is like to go through a divorce. He himself had had to divorce Israel. He was the innocent party. Of course, in our marriages, neither of us is always entirely innocent. But in the covenant relationship, Yahweh the Lord was entirely innocent and had to divorce his wife, Israel. And what shook me is that Judah was now worse than Israel had ever been. King Josiah had tried to reform the people, but outwardly there had been reformation of the religious practices, but inwardly the people's hearts had not been changed. They were still attached to the old ways of worshipping Baal. Now King Josiah got involved in a battle with the Pharaoh of Egypt in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. We read that archers shot King Josiah and he told his officers, take me away, I'm badly wounded. So they took him out of his chariot, put him in his other chariot and brought him to Jerusalem where he died. He was buried in the tombs of his ancestors and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. Jeremiah, that's me, composed laments for Josiah and to this day, all the male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These became a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. King Josiah was shot in a battle fighting against the Egyptian king Necho. And we'll come back to him in a later talk. I'm about 35 years old now that Josiah is dead and I've been working as a prophet for 18 years. I haven't been very fruitful and I haven't seen a lot of success. I was a reluctant prophet. I was called young. I was warned by God that my ministry would be difficult and it certainly was. He gave me two visions to encourage me, a vision of a watchful tree and the vision of a pot of boiling water. But now I know that Jerusalem and Judah's towns are going to be destroyed, as is the temple. Why? Because of idolatry. And the Lord told me not to be afraid, to go on speaking God's words, because he would be with me and would rescue me. He would make me like a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall. That's the end of the talk. I'd like to come out a roll now and ask you to think through one or two questions based upon Jeremiah chapter 1. What excuses do we sometimes make for not serving the Lord? Have you ever felt overwhelmed by something that God was asking you to do? If you were, how did you cope with that? Have you ever had to face a task which seemed hopeless 
and yet you managed to carry on. How did you manage to carry on? Where did you find the strength? What do you think it meant to Jeremiah to be described as a fortified city, a pillar, a bronze wall? And then in this chapter, can you see any similarities with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or can you see any contrasts with the Lord Jesus Christ? Read the chapter again and see if you can find the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 1. Thank you.